Bishop Godfrey Honor is somebody who is known to be outspoken in matters connected with the life of the people in the whole country. His own diocese is not an exception in the problems that is looming around in Nigeria today. So that with that, as his own personal experience, we will know what it means. Those of you who may know little about him, he has been a professor in our university in Rome for quite a time before he came down to Nigeria to now direct this diocese. We shall not uh, preempt him. We just give him the microphone and he will uh, let us uh, into the depth of his knowledge of what is happening, uh, particularly as it uh, pertains to our theme of today. Thank you very much. My Lord, you have the seat. Thank you very much, Monsignor Hippolyte Adigwe. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this experience. Thank you for your patience and for your insistence. For your information, I did everything possible not to be here. But Monsignor wouldn't let me off the hook. As a matter of fact, I was not sure in the final analysis I would be able to make it, but I am glad that I am here today. I also ask you to pardon me because he did request very early a written text. I told him I would not be able to produce any. Don't mind the way I will be moving sheets of paper to give the impression that I have a text. I have none. <laughs> and Monsignor, I'm sorry about that, but I think also even without the document, we'll be able to exercise our minds and then also later maybe be able to produce some text. I want to salute the Metropolitan of Onitsha Province and the Archbishop of Onitsha. Most Reverend Valerian Madokao KK, who is represented here by the Education Secretary. And I thank all of you for being here on this occasion. I am told that the theme of your reflection this year is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 38. Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? A cry of a nation in the face of life-threatening challenges. Because of the very nature of the theme, and to make sure we really place it in context, I would want first to read the passage of gospel 
from where it is taken. And I will take Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, from verse 35 onwards. On that day, and that is after Jesus had told many parables, on that same day as evening drew on, he said to them, that is his disciples, let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. A violent squall came up and waves were breaking over, over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even wind and sea obey? And since this group is a group involved in religious education, it would be interesting to draw our attention to some peculiarities of this gospel narrative. Of course, as we know, the synoptics are very similar, one to the other. But that similarity is not such as to cancel out their specific characters. Well, biblical scholars will talk about sources. It would be interesting to point out that the same story is told by Matthew in Matthew chapter 8. Let us cross to the other side, verse 8. And the story of the troubled sea from verses 18 to 27. But here in Matthew's gospel, the passage simply says that the disciples said to him, Lord, save us, we are perishing. There was no sense of entitlement and there was no rebuke. Luke also tells the same story in Luke chapter 8 from verses 22 to 25. Verse 24 says, Master, Master, we are perishing. Again, without any sense of implicit rebuke, do you not care that we are perishing? They just woke him up 
to draw his attention to the danger they were facing. It is only in Mark that we find this reference that says, Do you not care that we are perishing? I make this underlining because then I think, I believe, that the organizers had a reason for preferring this passage to others. Perhaps to reflect both and not only the, the desperation of believers in Nigeria today, but also and perhaps more especially their expectation from God in this situation or in this desperate situation. Well, this was one of the miracles categorized as nature miracle. Most of the miracles of Jesus were targeted to specific needs of individuals who were sick, who were dying, who were hungry. And Jesus often intervened on the condition of persons. But this one, he intervened on the state of nature. And in intervening on the state of nature, Mark makes him use words that sound magical. Because within that context, even troubled seas were believed to be as a result of the action of demons. Now you find Jesus saying, according to Mark's record, be quiet. Be still. Now we are familiar with this order being given to the unclean spirits, especially the noisy ones. Keep quiet and come out of him. Now Jesus is, made, is said to have addressed the troubled waters as if he were addressing an unclean spirit. Maybe the organizers also chose this theme because they believe somehow all the problems we have in this country must be caused by the devil <laughs> and the unclean spirits. We are living in a generation of Christianity where individual responsibility is becoming almost entirely absent. A drunkard is drunk because he is possessed by the evil spirit of drunkenness. A wayward priest, married person, possessed by the spirit of waywardness. And since I am now beginning to forget many things, some may think I am already possessed by the spirit of forgetfulness. And the idea, the idea I get from this choice is that the organizers are saying, look, God, we expect you to do something. Do you not care that we are perishing? 
And this is a cry of a nation. So, and I will take it also that way. From the point of view of the nation. But then, given the audience, I will also want to zero it to the point of view of religious educators in the Catholic Church. God, Lord, well, you should do something. You cannot just sit there in heaven and watch us perish or what still. You cannot just be there sleeping while we are perishing. Do you not care? Well, this calls to mind some theological and philosophical attitudes to the understanding of God that we have had for long periods in the history of the church. Theologians and philosophers are wont to, some are wont to understand God, and this is not specific to Christianity, because it is as old as the Hindu and Greek mythologies. Deus absconditus is an expression many of us are familiar with. The prophet Isaiah tells us that God is a hidden God. And many scholars, theologians have taken that up. But limiting that, a hidden God, limiting it to the concept of knowledge of God. God that is so hidden that human knowledge, human mind alone is incapable of knowing, understanding his nature. The only way that God can be known is by revelation. But then, from the concept of Deus absconditus, a hidden God, we also come to Deus otiosus. An idol God, which is the basic thesis of that theological and philosophical position we are familiar with that is called deism. And that is of a God who after creating the world has withdrawn entirely and is no longer interested in what happens to the world and has left human beings to sort out their affairs within the world. This idea of Deus Otiosus or an idol god, you are familiar with the Greek mythology, where the earlier Olympians got old and were replaced by the younger gods who were more active. And this was borrowed by some theologians and philosophers to the point of thinking that what happens to the world is no longer a business of God. And this theme, based on the gospel reading, is trying to ask, are we back to a situation where God just watches idly or just even sleeps while we as a nation, are perishing. There is another passage before I come to this analysis 
There is another gospel passage, another passage in the gospel where Jesus intervenes to save his disciples from the storm. Now, Jesus tells them, be quiet, tells the wind, be quiet. But then, he tells the disciples, why are you so terrified? Do you not have faith? And Mark goes on to say that they were filled with great awe. There are two stages in this fear. The first fear was natural fear that came from the experience of a threat to their life. The second fear was no longer about the storm. The fear that Jesus addressed in them was a fear that their trust in God or their faith was supposed to have taken care of. But the fear that came after Jesus had worked the miracle was all another type of fear that could even be a positive thing. But that is not the concern for today. In Mark's Gospel still, chapter 6, from verses 45 to 52, there is also an episode after Jesus had fed the 5,000, John tells us in his own account that there was nearly a mutiny. The people wanted to make him king. And if they had done that, there would have been rebellion in, 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 in Palestine. So Jesus sent the people away. But Mark simply tells us that when he had fed the 5,000, by now, he made the disciples get into the boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd quietly. One of the things we have failed to realize as people who assemble crowds constantly, is that crowd management is one of the big challenges of any leader. Jesus told the disciples to leave, and he will dismiss the crowd in his own way. And he did. As they set sail, sometime in the middle of the night, the disciples got into trouble at the middle of the sea. Then he saw that they were tossed about while rowing, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came towards them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, they had all seen him and were terrified. But at once he spoke with them. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them. And the wind died down. This time he said nothing. He just got into the boat. In the first instance he was in the boat. But he was asleep. 
But one other difference between the two stories is that in this case, the disciples made no request of him. He was not even near. But he noticed they were in trouble and on his own initiative, he intervened. I always use that to remind people that obeying God's command is no guarantee that you will not encounter problems. It is only a guarantee that if you are where he sent you, he will meet you there because he knows you are there and he will notice when you are having your problems. Now, nobody will be in any doubt that this country is facing all the Nigerians are facing life-threatening challenges. There are too many to be enumerated. And I have just classified them into two. Every problem we encounter from the point of view of public life can be traced back to bad governance bad governance with all its implications. This country has missed too many opportunities. Most countries in the world learn their lessons after a war, especially modern histories of countries. The experience of the Second World War transformed the whole Europe. And we had expected that Nigeria would learn some good lessons from the Nigeria-Biafra war. Because at that moment, at that, in that period, the country was threatened with disintegration. But even now, all the problems that caused that war are still there. And we don't seem to be learning any lessons at all. As a matter of fact, it is even surprising that we are still together as one country. All because of bad governance. In 2015, people thought really that this country would collapse. You are aware that there was a prediction by American agencies that Nigeria would become a failed state in 2015. But bear in mind that for every crisis and every conflict, there are people profiting. There are people who are called crisis or conflict entrepreneurs. Those who may produce arms, those who are lawyers to criminals, those who benefit in various ways from the crisis. So it is not surprising that when this agency or body of the American state predicted that Nigeria would become a failed state by 2015, an American warship changed its position and came closer to Nigeria. But somehow we survived 2015. It does seem though 
that rather than survive the problems of 2015, we are only postponed and have been heightened right now. Personally, I can't think of any negative situation we faced in 2015 that is not worse right now. But that is my personal assessment. I am not a sociologist, so I may not have used the proper instruments to measure this. But I believe I may not be alone in this assessment. Do we talk of corruption? The level of corruption that this country has reached now is such that not even the agencies that fight corruption and their officials can now present a clean hand that they are, they are corrupt. If you ever dialogue with people who have had any brush with the agencies, anti-corruption agencies in this country, you will understand what I'm saying. And insurgency, Boko Haram. And by 2015, we were dealing just with Boko Haram. But now we have an, an umbrella name that nobody is able to identify exactly who they are. Bandits. Or we pretend not to know who they are. Bandits. And to these bandits, we have no, now unknown gunmen. Unknown gunmen who are, who procure arms from specific places and specific persons, and who sometimes, some of whom get killed or arrested, therefore identified, still they remain unknown gunmen. And before 2015, yes, we had skirmishes with the herdsmen. And I can tell you, I am from that part of Nigeria where herdsmen have always been present. And they had always had problems with farmers. Because they would walk their cattle through farmlands eating the crops. Sometimes they would harvest the yams and cassava and use them to feed the cattle. They say there is a legend or superstition among some of those herders that no matter how much grass the cattle eat, unless they eat crops like that, they will not really be very fat. Now they had done this consistently in the past, but often they were made to pay some form of compensation for the harm they did. But we know that since 2015, there is a kind of when he get mad at what they are doing. There is nothing you can do about it. And one priest has been told in one diocese, or rather two priests, one had been told in uh, Jalingo when they entered the seminary, you can do nothing about it. If we find grass inside that house, that is their chapel, we will send our cattle there to feed, and you can't do anything about it. That was the day they shot at one of the priests in the seminary. 
and in the cathedral grounds of uh, sometime nowhere, a headman came, knocked open a locked gate, locked with key, and headed his cattle into the field of the cathedral. And the priest came and quietly reminded him this was private property and he had to respect the right of the private property. And it was said to have answered the priest, our brother is in church and we own this land. One may say that this is a misconception by a few miseducated, uneducated, or ignorant herdsmen. But reactions from those who are on top suggest that these herdsmen may not be acting purely out of ignorance. Now, this is to say how restive and how in almost impossible cohabitation has become in Nigeria in the past few years. And in the absence of any clear direction of the leadership of this country towards the solution of this problem, of this menace, self-appointed measures have emerged. And these self-appointed messiahs are even shouting like Moses, let my people go, without even knowing either who their people are or where exactly they want to go. In the midst of this confusion, we seem to have arrived at the state described by Thomas Hobbes, that famous state of nature where we have a war of every person against every person. Well, bad governance, that is about insecurity, about corruption, and about the economy. The economy has got so bad of course, you know, we always peg our economy, we check our economy based on our exchange rate with the dollar. From 150 something naira to one dollar in 2015, we are now at 600 or 560 something naira to one dollar. I don't know whether the income of the average Nigeria has increased by the same proportion. And to worsen the state of the economy in some parts of the country, we have the added anger that has forced a number, has forced the people not to engage even either in work or in economic activities where they sit at home orders that are meant to be protests to the mistreatment by government of some persons or group of persons. All these having, apart from the security issues, having impact on the economy. And then add to that the rate of unemployment in this country. 
The unemployment rate in this country has gotten to the point where the president of the country has gone public to tell the graduates not to expect employment anymore. Neither from the state government nor from the federal government. Now tell me what those young men and women are supposed to be doing. They are now available to be hired by any criminal who promises them a better future. And if no criminal hires them, well, they have so many juju priests who assure them that once they do some rituals, they could become rich. Or some experts in internet fraud who will tell them that you just come, I teach you a few things to do with a keyboard and you become rich. Now these are all parts of the results, some of the results of bad governance in our country. And they are many more. There is a second group. The two groups I've chosen don't really exhaust the classification. But I'm choosing these two groups just for the sake as samples and for emphasis. Bad governance on the one hand and bad religion or misuse of religion. There was a reflection I gave some years back on Pentecostal prosperity gospel where I sustained that bad governance and the version of Pentecostal prosperity gospel in Nigeria today are twin brothers. They came together and they need one another to survive. When this country was doing well, relatively well. After the Civil War, 10, 15 years after the Civil War, the country had taken off again and had become the pride of Africa. The economy was stabilizing, maybe because there weren't even so many graduates, they had employment and employment opportunities. Nigerian universities we are working and there were also foreigners studying in Nigerian universities but there were problems and the face of those problems when the hardship struck also because of the complicity of the foreign agents now I want to remind all of us that any analysis we are making about our problems in Nigeria and we are talking about the role of the government, the role of the church, the role of the people. It is not that we are ignorant of the part played by foreign bodies. But I don't think it is helpful preaching to a congregation that is not there. If I have to talk to Europeans about the problems of Nigeria, I will not talk about these things. I will talk about what they themselves have contributed to these problems. So, because they really are the biggest 
stakeholders in what we have called conflict entrepreneurship. But then, when there was this crisis partly generated by foreign interference, the World Bank, the IMF, the coup, the military generals struck. With the coup that was led by Buhari, General Buhari, the solution that would have been sought to our problems was changed to a type of force-driven search for all solutions. The impunity with which the military then conducted the affairs of state created in the impression and a culture among the people that might must be right. And with that culture, there became even a rise in armed robbery. Check the history of the Lawrence, of Lawrence and Nene for those who are old enough to know that name. The culture that produced him. And that culture of violence and, and armed robbery is not separable from the culture of violence and political robbery of military dictatorship. It was within that context that the first set of prosperity gospel preachers, the Dahusas, emerged. And rather than face the challenge of the military dictators and the armed robbers, these Pentecostal preachers gave the Nigerians the impression that all you needed to do was to believe in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and of course pay some tithe to the pastor and your problems would be solved. So these, I call them religious manipulators of the poor and the impoverished. And by the time this wave of belief was growing outside the mainland, mainstream churches, mainline, mainline churches, it was not long before we started imitating them. And uh, alongside the Dahosas emerged the Edes, and now the innumerable operators of the wonders that we now see in every single diocese in this country. Now, this misuse of religion needs bad governance to survive. Because bad governance creates the poverty without which the bad religions will not have clients. A, nobody who can afford a medical trip in America, in Europe, in Asia will visit the healing homes in this country. And none of these miracle workers, by the way, work miracles for their own relatives. They fly them abroad. And when they are sick, for those of them who are priests, I can tell you as a bishop, they ask for permission to go on holiday. 
but they are going for medical checkup and treatment. Now, this misuse of religion is not limited to Christianity because the poverty that bad governance creates multiplies the number of hands available for crime and for misuse by power-drunk Muslims. Because the Alimajaris and even the headsmen are products of the same religious manipulation. These guys are victims themselves. Because you can't fight the headsmen because the owners of the cattle are not in those bushes. They are sitting in the palaces in Abuja, Kaduna, Sokoto, Katsina, and so on and so forth. And uh, this, their interdependence has survived because as long as the people who create the poverty in the society are there, the gullible population that the miracle workers need to survive will always abound. Now, having uh, classified these two, let us get back. These are the threats, and only a few of the many threats that our country is facing. What do we do? in the face of these threats? Or what is God supposed to do? The first place, before we say what God is supposed to do, I want to mention, and I'm serious, knowing the audience I have in front of me, that the form of religion that is now growing fast in Nigeria seems, seems to be the most degraded and degrading forms of religion. The most degraded and degrading forms of religion are becoming very popular in Nigeria today and are growing fast. Christianity is a religion of service based on love Christianity is a religion of the cross with a hope that is anchored in the future. But in place of this Christianity of love and of the cross, we now have a form of Christianity that is growing fast now that I call a manipulative, prosperity-seeking and money-making evangelism. But I am afraid it will not last much longer. One of my priests who has studied Pentecostalism very attentively, Father Augustine Asawa, once affirmed that Pentecostalism has no second-hand value. I have not asked him to explain what he means by that. But check the history of many of the Pentecostal churches. But one of the reasons I say that it will not last much longer 
is that any of you here who has studied Karl Marx will remember that he says that any God that exists only to solve the problems of the poor will die by the time the poor are able to solve their own problems. Watch children as they grow up. They gladly accept to be spoon-fed. But one of the signs that a child is really growing up is that he begins to reject spoon-feeding and want to feed himself or herself and possibly also with daddy's or mommy's big spoon. Islam is supposed to be a religion of total self-surrender to almighty merciful God that makes charity and almsgiving obligatory. But in place of this Islam of self-surrender and obligatory charity, we now have a form of Islam that is fast spreading in this country, that is power drunk, violent prune. It's a power drunk and violence prune jihadism. And it will not last forever because there is a limit to the extent to which you can maintain human submissiveness and loyalty through violence and selfish exercise of raw power. Many of the so-called leaders in our country who are Muslims are using Islam only as an anchor for political power. Not necessarily that they are believers in the tenets of Islam. I am not a Muslim. Naturally, you can see that. But I can tell you this. Those of you who come from areas where Islam is a majority religion may be noticing already the frustration of many of the Muslims about this type of violent Islam that is used by political powers to maintain itself. Then the third of the major religions in this country is the African traditional religion. The African traditional religion is a religion of, based on the laws of nature, harmony, and balance. A religion that really does not know forgiveness, but knows restitution. Once you have committed a crime, something has to be done to restore the balance in the, and equilibrium in the society that you have disturbed through your crime. And if you take away somebody's thing, you have to restore it. That is the traditional religion that our ancestors had. That traditional religion of balance, equilibrium, and peace has been replaced by an evil-spinning and backward-looking fetishism produced by Nollywood that shows traditional religion only as black magic that exists to fight the enemy and destroy innocent lives. That religion, that form of the traditional religion has no future. It has no future because it will invariably succumb to the pressures of modernity.
the present proponents of this religion are all people who are frustrated by the form of Christianity that does not satisfy their religious aspirations. These are the most popular and fastest growing forms of the three major religions in Nigeria. And I think this is where it concerns us. No matter what statistics may say, on, you know, we are fighting with numbers. Nobody knows exactly how many we are. And I can tell you it is because northern Muslims don't want to know that Islam is really a minority religion in this country. Because when they count Kaduna, nobody tells you the percentage of Christians in Kaduna. And when we say North and Muslim, nobody tells you that 70% of Taraba state is Christian. 80 maybe per percent of uh, what is the state of Yola? Adamawa state is Christian. That does not come into the picture. And of course, Kano is thickly populated. But go to Sebongeri, where you have the Christians. All that we count as Kano. But I'm saying this because we are fighting with numbers. And we, are, we don't even know how many we are. Muslims will say there are more. Christians will say there are more. And if you come among Christians, Catholics and Protestants and Evangelicals and Pentecostals, nobody knows how many we are. And we keep fabricating numbers for ourselves. And think we are growing. And no matter what statistics may say. Unless the leaders of these religious groups now set to work to bring out the most sublime and loving faces and forms of their religions, each of them may be on a fast track to self-destruction. Every one of them, Christian, Muslim, traditional religion. In fact, many of our young persons are already in what I have termed the anteroom of aggressive secularism. While many of the upper middle class of Nigerians have comfortably settled in an insulated area of religious indifference. Their generous donations to churches, mosques, and local communities may just be a form of conscience assuaging philanthropy or even a way of procuring for themselves social security in a society with a large population of impoverished, angry youths. I would think they built a church for their community. They must be very religious. If it no be like that, I'm not saying it is not. I'm only talking of probabilities. So, what is God supposed to do about this? Lord, these things are life-threatening. Do you not care that we are perishing? We pray. 
and expect him to just stand up and say, be calm, be quiet. We have composed prayer for Nigeria in distress. I have removed for Nigeria in distress in my diocese. Because it seems the more we highlight that distress, the more distressful our condition becomes. So I just say, prayer for our country, Nigeria. And when you find a catechist who no longer believes in Nigeria, but believes in Biafra, he will just say, prayer for our country. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, he will say, see where we call our country, Nigeria. I don't know what word they put there. It's like when you find a priest who is angry with his bishop and he's celebrating mass. He will come there and say, a servant, Pope Francis, and our bishop. <laughs> I, I, I beg priests not to torture themselves by getting angry with their bishops. Because at the end, they will also anger God by the things they say at Mass. And uh, we have composed a prayer against, uh, against, uh, uh, for Nigeria in distress. Prayer against bribery and corruption. Maybe we have to compose more. Prayer against drug abuse. Prayer against kidnapping. Prayer for protection from headsmen. Prayer against sit at home. Prayer against dangerous and careless driving. Prayer against ghost workers in our offices. Prayer against materialism in the churches. Or maybe for many of you who are involved in education, prayer against examination malpractice. We have to pray now and pray. I read this book, Martin Luther King's Strength to Love, in 1978. Last night, something I read there struck me. Since I had lost my original copy, but I knew I had one copy, I went to look for it and found it, and found the passage I was looking for. Talking about evil in the world, Martin Luther King writes, among other things, the idea that man expects God to do everything leads inevitably to a callous misuse of prayer. For if God does everything, man then asks him for anything, and God becomes little more than a cosmic bellhop who is summoned for every trivial need. Or God is considered so omnipotent and man so powerless that prayer is or becomes a substitute for work and intelligence. He says, God, who gave us minds for thinking and bodies for working, would not defeat his own purpose 
if he permitted us to obtain through prayer what we what may come through work and intelligence. Prayer is a marvelous and necessary supplement for our feeble efforts, but it is a dangerous substitute. When Moses strove to lead the Israelites to the promised land, God made it clear that he would not do for them what they would do for themselves. What they could do for themselves. And the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to move. And he says, That whereas we must affirm the importance of prayer, we also have to realize that we hold our own responsibility in making the world better. No prodigious thunderbolt from heaven will blast away evil. And here read, will blast away the threatening, life-threatening challenges in Nigeria. No mighty army of angels will descend to force men to do what their wills resist. The Bible portrays God not as an omnipotent czar who makes all decisions for his subjects, nor as a cosmic tyrant who, with Gestapo-like methods, invades the inner lives of human beings, but rather as a loving father who gives to his children such abundant blessings as they may be willing to receive. I thank Martin Luther King for this reflection. Now, we have to remember, still in the Gospels, Jesus saw the crowd and found them like sheep without shepherd. And he asked the disciples to pray. He told them, the harvest is rich indeed, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. And they knelt down in prayer. After praying, he sent them. Not any other person. After praying, he sent them. The apostles approached him when they noticed hungry people in the evening and they had no place to, no food to eat. They noticed a need, a problem. And they told him, look, Lord, we have to do something and send these people away. Sorry for you. You have noticed the problem. Solve it. Give them something to eat yourselves. And I think, I think, my conclusion from these episodes is that if you have noticed a problem around you, it is probably because God wants to use you to provide a solution. You know the story of the drowning man man who had so much faith and there was flood in his area and he was praying that God would save him. God cannot abandon me. He won't allow me to drown. And the waters kept rising. He climbed his table. God will not allow me to drown. The waters kept rising. He climbed his cupboard. God will not allow me to drown. 
The waters kept rising. He eventually broke the ceiling and was standing on the roof. God will not allow me to drown. The God I worship will not let me drown. And as he was praying, he saw a boat. A boat came by. The, the services of the city had sent a boat to pick up those who were still struggling with the water. And they called on him to hop, hop into the boat. My God will save me. <laughs> and as water, the water took him on top of that roof, he started swimming. Another boat came. My God will save me. Finally, a helicopter came. They threw down the rope. Don't worry, my God is able. And then he drowned. As he drowned, he appeared before God's judgment seat. And immediately he got angry with God. How could you have allowed me to drown when I had so much faith in you? And God answered him. But I sent three people to rescue you. In the situation in which we find ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, what does God still need to do for us that he has not already done? Look at the crop of men and women sitting in front of me. One of the best educated human beings in this society. Disciplined. Selfless. And they are in their thousands. Priests. Consecrated persons. And add to that the catechists. In my diocese, we have over 700 catechists. And what do they do? Announcements. <laughs> and uh, clearance before burial. We have to make it a rule to some of them. You must teach catechism or we take your mission away from you. A catechist catechizes. Some of them think it is just to intone prayer against bribery and corruption in the church. Then make announcements. Now, even before then, God gave this country wonderful missionaries. No matter which part of the country you come from, you, we had wonderful, selfless hard-working missionaries. We can criticize them as much as we want, but we are not yet up to their worthy to untie their sandals. These missionaries, most of whom died before they turned 40, with the exception of a few here in Onicha, old Onicha province, it was only people like Shanahan who grew old. Others died very young. They did not know the culture. They did not know the language. They spoke through the interpreters. But they produced the dances. They produced the energies. They produced the arenzes. They produced the nguanebos. They produced the nguedos and the unebos. 
and countless other lay men and women who gave their life to defend the Catholic Church and their faith. And the tanses and energies and arenzes and neighbors and widows have produced us. Of course, I'm not ignoring the mothers, the founders, the original superiors of the missionary congregations that worked in Nigeria. What degrees did they have? Many of you here have specialization in different fields. But what do we now produce? Compared to what they produce. What they produce. With very limited formation and resources, they produced great Christians, great Catholics, great missionaries after them. But with all our formation and training and resources and the amount of money we have in the church now, my diocese is one of the poor ones, just in case you think I don't know what to do with my money. But compared to people who are to beg from Ireland, with all that, we are producing mediocres, spiritual, moral mediocres. Both, sorry, in the priesthood and in the consecrated life. And when I say this, don't forget I am a priest in case you think I'm insulting you. What else should God do for us that he has not done? With the sacrifices that this man made, by now we should be producing our first martyrs. When the church was a few hundred years in Europe and Africa, that was when the schools of theology were born that defined our faith. Today, in the first few hundreds of years of the church in our area, we have a multiplication of miracle centers and adoration centers where Christ is not adored. Make no mistakes about that. What is going on there is not adoration of the Eucharistic Lord. Have you ever asked yourselves, if the priest uses the blessed sacrament to bless people and carry it around and they fall down. From where is the power coming? From the priests or from the Eucharistic Jesus? If from the Eucharistic Jesus, how many have fallen during benediction? How many have fallen on Corpus Christi Day? And it, if it is from the priests, then we have questions to ask ourselves. From the priest and not from the Eucharist. And he is a Catholic priest. We know how we adore God in our own religious tradition. But is that what we experience? With those dioceses that have chapels of perpetual adoration. There you find people 
adoring in silent prayer and in tears of gratitude, of pain. But there you have adoration. But the things we are multiplying now, miracle shopping malls. We are, of course, I know one that it is said not to exist too, because the bishop gave his priest one condition. You can have a healing center if you want, but no collection. And no, it is, there's not one, one healing center in his diocese. Now, I just want to underline here, and I'm getting to my conclusion, that we can, we can, and we have to do a lot more than just pray. Because if we say simply, God, do you not care that we are perishing? We are absolving ourselves of responsibility. We can do a lot more in religious education, civic education, and integral education of all our people from the nursery school to the universities. Monsignor Hippolyta Digwe here has proposed to priests to prepare themselves to go and become primary school, elementary school teachers. They say he must be joking. Sisters do it already. Meanwhile, we will establish nursery primary school in every parish and the priest does not enter the school. He collects the money anyway. And always changing bossa. <laughs> Very often, if you find father quarreling with sister in any parish, check what is happening in the school. It's hardly ever about the teaching. It's hardly ever about morals. It's often about school. And when they say school administration, it means school money. Religious education. How much do our people know about our faith that they will use to face the challenges in public life? And are we ready to educate them? What is the content of our homilies for priests? What is the content of our interaction with people? Whether we are bishops, priests, religious, and as I said, catechists. Now the Holy Father has instituted the ministry of catechists, lay ministry. Let me see whether we will make greater use of these wonderful resource persons. Civic education, our responsibility, whether as persons who are governed or as persons who have responsibility for governance. How much do our people know when they get into public office about what they should do as public servants? Or we want a Catholic governor, a Catholic senator, a Catholic this and a Catholic that only that he will be favorable to the church. Even if he is not a good leader, 
I'm asking it as a question. I'm not making it as an affirmation. Our people are very ignorant. The Holy Father has proposed a synod. The theme is synodality, working together. And I say, ah, ah, working with a person who doesn't even know where we are going. We have not told our people the basic things about their faith. They are entirely on their own most of the time. The catechism, and by the way, the catechism some of us are criticizing were prepared by the missionaries who didn't know our language. And we have not improved upon it. We have only changed in Igbo. We have only changed the Igbo from Onicha Igbo to the so-called Central Igbo. And again, when I talk about education, I mean at all levels. When our priests and consecrated persons get into the university, for instance, to teach, and that is mainly where they want to be. And I don't know how many of our priests throughout Nigeria, I'm not talking of Anambra, for instance, are teaching in government secondary schools. Many of the priests who taught us or who taught some of us in secondary schools, we are teaching mathematics in a government secondary school. Teaching English. They were not just visiting the school as spiritual directors and to teach religious and moral instruction. Very often when we get into the universities to teach, some see it only as a means of earning more income for themselves and probably for the religious congregation and the diocese. But what of the presence of the leaven and the dough? What of the presence of the light in darkness? What of the Christian presence in those environments? Are we thinking of that at all? For a conclusion, I will go to the story of Jonah. Jonah was probably a model of what happened in the gospel of today. I mean, the gospel passage that is inspiring our reflection. But Jonah was a, dif a different type of model. Yes, he was sleeping, but he was in a boat or ship that was about to drown because of storm. And Jonah was sleeping. But the specific interest here is that Jonah was the cause of the problem. Jonah was the cause of the problem. And he was asleep. Others were struggling to find the solution. And Jonah was deep asleep. But eventually it was only the sacrifice of Jonah that saved the boat and the sailors. Now, this is my question. Could it be the case in Nigeria that those who are responsible for the turmoil about to destroy the nation today are either sleeping or even enjoying themselves? And is it possible that we, church men and women, like Jonah, are part of the problems in this country and we are sleeping? 
Are we asking ourselves about what we have contributed to these life-threatening challenges through our negligence? For instance, we have neglected missionary action and missionary activity. Increase in the number of Catholics today is almost entirely because of internal multiplication. How many non-Catholics do we present the Catholic faith to with word and by example? Negligence, missionary activities, negligence in catechesis. Today is the feast, a memorial of Timothy and Titus, two companions of Paul, whom he always asked to prepare the people, strengthen their faith. Even before coming, he would tell them what to do. When bishops go on pastoral visit today, the priests, yes, they prepare. They repent the house. And, uh, of course, present to me 1,800 people for confirmation in one day. Because the Bishop, because of the vastness of the diocese, may not have been there for five, eight, for eight, ten years. So if you come, so many people have, have not been confirmed. And so how many are there? 1,800. Are they prepared? Yes, yes, yes. The first question you ask the first candidate is look, you, you look at you and father will say, hey, these cat kiss. These cat kiss. <laughs> Catechesis and proper religious education. Every school in this country, it is in the laws. If, even if you have only one Catholic child in that school, he or she is entitled to receiving Christian religious education. How many priests and sisters go into the school to teach that? I'm not just saying to celebrate Mass for them. On a weekly basis. And then through, I'm asking, how is it possible, what role have we played? What have we contributed to these threatening challenges? Through our exploitation of the ignorance of the people. I can tell you, if most of our people knew their rights, we would not get away with what some of us do. And through sheer indifference. And always passing the buck. You know when there is a problem in this country. What you hear people ask is. What is the church doing? And by what is the church doing. They mean what are the bishops doing. We are only 54 active bishops. Though. And there are over 5,000 priests. And 50 million Catholics. And perhaps also up to five or 6,000 consecrated men and women who are not priests. Now what is the church doing? We keep passing the buck. If you talk to any bishop in this country, he will tell you that the only problem he has are the priests. And if you talk to any priest, he will tell you, now bishops, they spoil this country and this church. So... I think priests and bishops had better agree and solve this problem since it is between these two groups. And by the way, I want to tell you from personal experience, 
that when some of us risk our lives to teach the truth, we are alone. Completely alone. When I was personally harassed for my preaching in the church, not political campaign, all I got from priests was, they can't do anything. They did many things. And they are telling me they can't do anything. Did you not read that Matthew Hassan Kuka was invited by SSS because of his homily on Christmas Day? I have not heard Catholics marching on the streets for that. I have not heard an association of Catholic lawyers protesting that. What are the bishops doing? We, bishops under the reign, marched in Abuja to protest the level of violence, insecurity, and injustice in this country. Before then, we told all Catholic senators, all Catholic members of the House, all Catholic member, uh, 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 members of the National Executive Council in Abuja that we will be marching. We told all the papal knights, all the knights of St. John, all the knights of St. Mulumba. How many people joined the bishops? What are the bishops doing? And are we not like Jonah asleep, oblivious of the fact that we are part of the problem? So my conclusion really is, let us reverse this topic. Let us reverse it. And that is the theme of your discussion from when I leave should be Nigerians, do you not care that you are perishing? Nigerian Christians, do you not care that you are perishing? Nigerian Catholics, religious priests and religious priests and bishops, do you not care that you are perishing? This is the cry of a loving God, desperate to save his unwilling children. For in my opinion, God has given us all the natural, human, and spiritual resources we need to be a great people and a vibrant church and a prosperous nation. Thank you very much. Let's give a wonderful hand of all right, stand up, stand up ovation to that was a wonderful presentation by his lordship, uh, most reverend Godfrey Gwebi Kona. Thank you, his lordship, for the wonderful presentation. This wonderful presentation, I believe, has left a lot of questions in our hearts. I am sure that uh, I will get no stones thrown at me for inviting his uh, lordship to come and talk to us. Uh, when he accepted to be with us today, his idea is that when he finishes, he moves out immediately. And I have begged him that uh, he will be able to stay to take some reactions from us if there are questions or something like that. Of course, his argument is very clear. It says that uh, keynote addresses does not require a response. Uh, but I said, you are right. But all the same, we want to give a response. And he agreed. So if there is uh, anybody, one or two people that may want to ask one or two questions, 
the, his lordship will be able to take it. We will not keep him long because he is going back again now, now. He came in this morning and is moving again for another function this evening. So we are not keeping him too long. If there are one or two people to ask questions briefly, just direct or reaction, we hear from you. One, two. Okay. Okay, thank you, my Lord. Uh, it's not a question, just to thank you. And for me, personal feeling now, I think this is more of retreat than academic presentation that needs question and answer. Thank you. Can't we put our hands together for him now? Thank you. Who else? My Lord, my John, my voice, so thank you very much for this wonderful reflection. Um, the little question I want to ask is with respect to the trend we find in our society today, with respect to many of our youths going back to ATR. And like you mentioned, it's not as if they're going to the traditional thing our forefathers had, but into a kind of a vicious type of it today. And in, in your presentation, you you give me a kind of hope that it will not last. And it gives me worry because before now, my imagination has been that we are in trouble because a whole lot of them are going back to eat and I see them begetting children and they are increasing. But you are telling us it is going to dissipate. My problem is how is that going to happen? Let me just answer that briefly. When I said it may not last, I didn't say that it would automatically come back. Our experience of Catholics who became Pentecostals is that many got disillusioned with Pentecostalism, but not many of them come back. Because if you don't give them enough to fall back on, they are not falling back on anything. Remember, my expression is that they are in an anteroom of aggressive secularism. These people will end up, that is my own prediction, believing in nothing. And sometimes they may, they may become even nihilists. That is my fear. They don't have the preparation the principles of the traditional religion, and they can't take the rigor of that religion. That religion is very rigorous. And compared to Christianity, Christianity, just like Paul says, liberates from the law. And Christianity liberates us from an unforgiving chain in the traditional religion. Think of the people that traditional religion had consigned to slavery to the gods. In Iboland, Diosu and Uhu. Without Christianity, you can't get out of that. So, what I'm trying to say is that if we don't want more to get into their fold, we have to prevent that now by proper religious education of our people and catechesis. And of course, Regard them also as subjects of mission. 
missionary activity is necessary towards these people. Again, Europe has designed for itself a program of new evangelization and we are echoing it. They are solving, trying to solve their own problems. My assessment, they are doing it not well. Not, they are doing it badly. Because they are not even learning from the secular world. The secular world in Europe, I'll give two examples. 99% of the national team of France is made up of children of immigrants. Because they don't have the population so talented to prepare that type, level of football team. How much, what percentage of the Catholic priesthood in France is black? So the children of this world are wiser in their age in dealing with their type than children of light. Whereas the secular world is looking elsewhere to bring in renewing energy, energy for renewal, the church thinks that it can just on its own revive a declining faith. The same thing, our doctors and nurses are migrating and they are being absorbed into Europe and America. And the only priests and sisters, especially priests, whom we find in Europe and America are not missionaries, but those who have been trained and are unwilling to come home. PhD holders who are assistant parish priests. And they are not ashamed to introduce that. After morning mass, they sit down and they are taking coffee with retirees. And that is why they were trained PhD in ecclesiology. Sorry. So, I'm, I'm not saying that they are coming back. But I'm only saying we can extend a new system of evangelization to such persons and people who are likely to join them. Thank you. Yes, um, Father, are you, do you still have, are you cleared of the question? Some other person wanted to ask a question. Who else? On the side. Yes, Father Bishop, thank you very much. Um, you mentioned, though you say it is not for this uh, uh, gathering, that uh, the Europeans, we are the major cause of our problem. What did they do? By the way, that's not what I said. Who else? Well done, my lord, for this beautiful presentation. In fact, I was a bit disturbed yesterday when I came in and saw the team. I said, poor God. <laughs> I said, we are turning and asking you, do you not care? And you said it beautifully. When you said, look at the number of people that we have here. People with doctorate in existential theology. <laughs> you know, naming all the theologies and everything that we have studied. And yet here we are. Nigeria is what it is now, but it has come down to where it is. Because we are not making good use of, believe me, half the knowledge that we have. Catholic priests and sisters, I think we are the most knowledgeable, most trained, most exposed, most name it, what is it? What are we doing with this 
great gifts that God has given us. I think you have given us a very good question. And you have helped us to revise this, uh, what do you call it? We need to go and do our homework. Believe me, we have a lot. But we give our people cold food. Food, cold, as Mrs. Sesueli used to tell us in our meetings. So we need to wake up. Our cat keys, just as you rightly said, cat keys are there. Some priests have turned them into errand boys. Yes, they don't teach catechism or whatever. Every day, go to the bank. Go and do this for me. Catechism, is it your work? Father, my point, I made that point by talking about conflict entrepreneurs. Europe, America, and now China, they are all agents in one way or another of destabilization in our countries. Let me tell you, for those of you who are from the southeast and you are priests, beating the drums of war, bear in mind that there is no major war going on in Africa now apart from Ethiopia. And some countries' economy is suffering. Because they are not selling. You will never know those who are advising both those wanting secession and those saying they can never, they will never go because they want to sell arms. That is one. If you think of how much our economy is controlled by foreign-based multinationals and by foreign-based organizations like World Bank, IMF, OPEC. And by the way, where is the money stolen from this country? So it is in that sense, I'm not saying they caused all our problems, no. But I say they are also interested parties. Because Igbo people have a proverb that a sick man is good luck for the doctor. <laughs> very close, I illustrate that with a very simple thing. Very close to my hospital, just opposite the hospital, you have coffin makers. The local government chairman has chased them away several times, but they always came back. And while you are praying in the hospital that your sick person may survive, they are also praying to God that their family will not die of hunger. So, Father, that's what I mean. They are not... Somehow, I believe the powerful nations of the world know that it is not in their overall economic interest for Nigeria to break up. Otherwise, if the, any day they are convinced that if we break up, they will be better, we will break up. They know what to do. No arms are manufactured in Nigeria. The Dengons, they manufacture here. Not even Amotekun uses them. My lord, uh you said something that touched me so much. They are, they are in, a, in passing about France. 
that uh, how many blacks are priests there? My conviction long ago is that racism is more in Catholic Church than elsewhere in the world. Within the Catholic Church, in Britain, uh, a priest told me that they prefer selling the churches and the, the convents to Muslims instead of uh, bringing black priests to come and uh, take care of them. And uh, also, the experience you have there is that uh, they prefer the churches closed than uh, having uh, our people come to assist in any form or shape. That is the level of racism. And also, in the church, you'll find out that uh, the, the congregation would want you to be there to celebrate for them. But in that event, the priest there will simply tolerate you. And they Father, actually would even you know, look down on the sacraments you administer Father, when they flood Father, you are 100% correct. But it's a universal problem. Don't forget that some dioceses in this country would prefer to be without bishops than to have a bishop that is not from their clergy. It's a universal problem. My Lord, my question is this. Is there no stipulated regulations, programs, and approval from the assistant bishops and CBCN for erring priests who are into adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and its misuse in their ministries? My brother, there are, there are guidelines and uh, sometimes you have no idea what bishops go through in an attempt to save an erring priest. It is easier to punish an erring priest than to save him. And most bishops choose the more difficult path. Also because there are so many other people who don't even know that that priest is erring. And the Lord, when in the parable of this, the wheat and the tares said, you also have to be careful less in uprooting the tares. You also approach the good, the good, the wheat. It is not an easy assignment. I must tell you. Just as no amount of laws will make a nation better. Because you cannot police the entire nation. Some of the more prominent cases in this area are not necessarily the most dangerous. Some of the priests that have destroyed homes are not even known because they have no adoration centers. They are itinerant havoc makers. Moving from home to home, seeing visions, and ordering prayers and taxing families. And you will never hear it. So what do you do? You gather your priests. 
You talk to them like a father. You appeal to their conscience. If you get any. By the way, when a bishop sanctions or disciplines his priest, he does not put it on social media. So you may not know that he has done it. But there is no guarantee that any of us who has taken the COVID vaccine will not get sick again. So, fathers, sisters, I think we do not have a right to continue to keep his lordship here. Uh, may we then ask him to pray for us and give us his blessing, and uh, we will then sit down. The president will then continue to direct us in uh, other affairs while we let his uh, lordship uh, attend to other things. So, my lord, please, a prayer and a blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Opportunity to learn more from you and to renew our commitment to, formation, to the formation of your children in faith. We make ourselves available instruments in your hands. We ask you to use us how best you will. Look not on our sins and on our weaknesses, but on the faith of your church. Strengthen our resolve to be available. Strengthen also our willingness to share our faith with our brothers and sisters. This is our prayer through Christ our Lord. Our Father, give us this day our deliberate and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and let us not into temptation. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sins. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And may Almighty God bless and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. Thank you very much.